everybody. Welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 6th at time of recording. Exciting week coming up in the world of sports. Super Bowl Sunday coming up this weekend. We'll get to some thoughts and predictions on the Chiefs 49ers game. And also a lot of hockey thoughts in this one. Had uh, NHL All-Star break over the past weekend. A couple of uh, big time trades uh, involving some Canadian teams and first round picks for us to get to. And then we'll get into questions uh, as we do in every podcast. Good uh, lineup of question askers uh, on uh, on this one. So let's get into it. My co-host for this podcast, Donnie. Donnie, what's going on man i am here um maybe surprising you know i've made it to another podcast here episode 188 really excited to get talking here uh, and uh, as mentioned you know we, we don't have the most news as i said last week it might be a quiet one but you know we, we've ended up we've got a nice little lineup for you guys so i'm happy about this one yeah, we, we really do. We will actually wait to get into our Super Bowl thoughts uh, into a little bit. Once we get into questions, we have some questions on the Super Bowl from my dad, which we will get to. But we actually have some hockey thoughts, Donnie. Let's start off with what happened in the past week in the NHL. The All-Star break definitely occurred, and it is a thing we'll touch on. But I want to hit on these trades first. Just hit on that a bit ago. The first of which between Vancouver and Calgary. We saw Elias Lindholm get traded from Calgary to Vancouver uh, on the last year of his contract. So pending free agents, oftentimes these are the guys that get moved first, especially when you consider a uh, productive center is on the market. Vancouver at the top of their division right now, making the big move to acquire Lindholm. They trade away Andre Kuzmenko, uh, expensive contract, not having as great of a year, a first round pick, uh, and also a defense prospect in Hunter Bruce. Zewitz, uh, something along those lines, um, you know, solid prospect, but but nothing too monumental on that. So uh, let's kind of break this down from both sides. Let's start with Vancouver acquiring Elias Lindholm in this deal. Obviously, the Canucks have been one of the big stories in the NHL this year with how surprisingly great they have been. Uh, been just loading in goals left and right. It seems like JT Miller, Elias Pettersson having, you know, incredible seasons uh, up front, down the middle. You add Elias Lindholm in that mix, you have potential to go, you know, a big time one, two, three punch. You could throw a home out there uh, with Patterson at the same time. So some options for the Canucks who uh, have been playing, you know, really strong hockey, obviously have to be feeling really good about themselves. They know it's a crowded Western conference with teams like Vegas and Edmonton uh, right behind them in their division. And then you look over at Dallas and Colorado in the central, uh, you know, there's some, there's some tall tasks, some, some big time teams, Vancouver, not satisfied with uh, just a strong first half so far, uh, making an aggressive push here, trading away a first round pick. Um, what did you think of the move here? Uh, starting from Vancouver's side, what do you think about them adding Lindholm uh, with uh, where they're at right now uh, in the NHL standings overall. Yeah, it's definitely, it feels like it's something that was necessary and something that they were going to do regardless. Um, I did think, you know, it, it, there is definitely inherent risk involved with trading a guy like Kuzmenko coming off the year that he had last year, over 70 points, obviously was uh, really surprising not necessarily a rookie because he was a little bit older, uh, but he, his first year in the NHL was absolutely incredible. Um, so we'll see if he bounces back anywhere near that. It's definitely iffy, uh, especially if Vancouver doesn't end up winning anything, doesn't end up making a deep run in the playoffs because you are also giving up a first rounder, um, a couple prospects, including two guys you took in the third round on uh, defense. So we'll be interesting there, but it is definitely, um, it, it will be, this is going to be a hindsight trade for us. Something that we'll have to look back at in six months or whatever. Um, I think you can look back at Lindholm's year a couple of years ago when he was playing with the flames ended up with 82 points, uh, 82 points in 82 games, pardon. Um, obviously, that was the Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk team when both of those guys uh, were putting up massive, massive numbers. Lindholm was obviously a big part of that. I think he probably fits more as like a 60, 65-point player in your lineup, uh, maybe even less uh, given the rollout usage here. Uh, but somebody who can play pretty much anywhere, uh, you can put him, play him shorthanded. Obviously, he's had a, 
He's had some pretty big shorthand goals for the Flames in his past uh, uh, couple years with the team, so it has been really interesting there. But uh, it's it's a necessary because you felt like they were going to make this move, obviously, at the very top of the league, um, have been incredibly, incredibly good. Uh, it's just gonna, it's something that I have a hard time like grading at this point because we really have to see like if Kuzman goes anywhere near he was where he was last year. It's um, they're obviously it's a it's a large risk I would say. Yeah, it is for sure, especially considering the long term play there with him being an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year and uh, Vancouver in an interesting spot. Obviously, they make this move, you know, going all in on on this year. But uh, once we do kind of turn that page, they're ha- going to have you know roughly as it stands now about thirty six million in cap space. But considering some of the guys they need to still re sign, Elias Pettersson, restricted free agent at the end of this year. Now you factor Lindholm into the mix, and then on D, Tyler Myers, Philip Peronik, Nikita Zadorov, Ian Cole, all free agents at at the end of this year. So there's going to be a lot of guys that they'll have to make some decisions on uh, and and they won't be able to keep everybody. Obviously, uh, even if they do keep Lindholm, that probably means that, that somebody else, maybe some of that uh, decor on the back end will eventually need to you know end up moving on, um, you know, with uh, with their situation that they have there. So uh, definitely Vancouver thinking about the present right now, though, uh, and with how they've played so far uh, this season to be aggressive. Um, you know, that's obviously a, a, a move that probably um, gets ahead of it a little bit. Obviously, we approach the trade deadline but those teams that are a few weeks uh, proactive, you know, looking at um, where they are in the calendar right now, all-star break, um, you know, two Western uh, Canada teams making a big move. Uh, Rick Tockett's got uh, the Canucks playing well, and uh, Patrick Alvin at, at GM makes that big move uh, for Lindholm. So let's talk about the Flames on the other side of it, Donnie. You, you mentioned that they get maybe a little bit of upside in Kuzmenko, who maybe isn't playing as great right now, but certainly has shown some ability in his career to be a productive scorer. You, you tack on a first-round pick in there as well, you know, factoring maybe they weren't going to re-sign Lindholm anyway ways um already you know kind of shelled out a, a couple of those big contracts recently with Huberto and Kadri and Uyghur so well, they're kind of in an interesting spot like they're not bad enough to where they're bottom of the barrel they're competing with you know Columbus and Chicago for uh you know these top lottery picks but at the same time they, they've got some veterans are you know where where do you think the flames are right now uh and especially you know where could they continue to go next because they still have some unrestricted free agents left on this team at the end of this year Noah Hannafin Chris Tanev Oliver Shillington have to figure that teams will be interested in improving their back end with some quality guys there uh, in Calgary that that they have the potential to move. So what are your thoughts on on the Flames in terms of their return here and, and where we look kind of long-term for, for what they got coming up here next? Yeah, it's interesting because I think Calgary, you looked at them as a team that was probably going to move one of the centers and Lindholm was the most likely of the three, uh, obviously with Kadri and Backlund, uh, Backlund being their captain. Probably not going anywhere. Kadri just got a really, really large deal from them, albeit not as large as maybe we were expecting originally uh, coming off the year he had in Colorado a couple years ago, but uh, still making quite a lot of money. Uh, probably not super exciting for anybody on the market trying to trade for him. So uh, Lindholm was definitely that guy uh, that maybe was uh, on the way out. Uh, defensively, I would assume that they probably at least try to keep one of Hannafin or Tanev. I would assume that Tanev is probably the easier of the guys to move because he's a little bit older. Obviously, Hannafin, you could kind of rationalize giving a five, six-year deal uh, at this point has been one of the league's, I, I wouldn't say best defenseman because it's not the truth, but he's very, very consistently good. And I think you need those guys uh, to win a cup. You need a couple of those guys in your lineup um, to play big minutes for you. So uh, if the Flames are looking at the future, the near future, that's definitely probably something that... uh they would consider uh, i also do think um it is nice maybe to add a guy like kuzmenko to a team that doesn't really they struggle to score at times obviously we've seen uh, some really really good years out of guys like mangiapani and huberto in the past but uh, in calgary the last year or so has been really really it's been a disaster pretty much so uh, kuzmenko should fit in really nicely you would assume that he plays a lot 
I, w- I would say, you know, he obviously had 70 points last year, as we were mentioning, like, this is a guy that's going to get a lot of a lot of ice time on a team that really needs some scoring. Um, I we're gonna t- we're gonna do our our tier list in a second here. Um, I have I don't know if I even have him in a tier list honestly, RK. So we're talking about a team that is uh, on their very last legs uh, in terms of competing this year. Uh, it feels like that they are definitely a a team that I mean maybe even like Jacob Markstrom is on the on the move uh, potentially. We've seen teams needing goaltenders. Um, obviously. Uh, it's a really interesting, they may be the most interesting of the teams at the trade deadline just to talk about because of all the talent on the roster. Yeah, a lot uh, a lot going on because uh, they're in kind of like a middle spot where, um, you know, you look at the standings, they're, uh, you know, five points out of that second wildcard spot, still have four teams to pass. So, you know, maybe somewhat of an uphill battle. You add a little bit, you know, probably a late first round pick with where Vancouver is kind of heading. Uh, Kuzmenko has two years left on his deal uh, as it stands now at, at 5.5 million, just 28 years old. So maybe that's someone, you know, yeah, you keep him around a little bit longer into his 30s uh, and then, you know, maybe kind of rebuild on the fly two three years down the road maybe they can kind of make shift this roster uh, a little bit better but yeah definitely an interesting spot uh you know those especially when you look at those contracts and and the fallout of what they decided to do after the huberdo uh or sorry not huberdo but uh kachuk and goudreau departures you know replacing it with uyghur kadri huberdo like that's kind of their core and um you know they haven't necessarily given them uh you know playoff caliber hockey to this point so um needing to kind of sell i I think that was probably the right decision for them uh even while they're still like oh well we're still kind of in the hunt but um probably realizing you know they're probably on the outside looking in when when it all is said and done um here about halfway through the season all right that it covers the uh one uh canada trade uh that we saw involving a, a first round pick we had another one uh, just kind of seemed like moments after involving the montreal canadians and the winnipeg jets um this one involves sean monahan going from montreal to winnipeg in exchange for a first round pick uh and a conditional third um if uh, if winnipeg wins the cup so you know i uh, the very optimistic thinking on Montreal's part if they're getting that third. But first round pick for Sean Monahan. Uh, you know, this is uh, another player that seems to have bounced around a handful of uh, Canadian teams, obviously starting uh, with Calgary in, in his career. Uh, now going to Winnipeg, another team uh, similar to Vancouver that has, you know, outperformed expectations to this part. Right now, the number three team in the Central, surprisingly just three points back of the Colorado Avalanche for first in the Central Division. So very much alive, very much playing good hockey right now. They add some more forward depth there with Sean Monahan. Monahan uh, adding into that lineup. So let's start with Winnipeg, Donnie. What do you think about that move, uh, you know, uh, adding Monahan and again, getting ahead of some of these other teams looking uh, ahead to what they have coming up before the trade deadline? What do you think of Winnipeg adding Monahan here? Yeah, it's weird because like, uh, and we talked about this on the podcast, actually, when he was dumped from Calgary to Montreal a couple years ago, uh, he was traded with a first round pick just to get rid of his contract. Uh, now we're talking, I believe we're not even two years after that happened. I, I, I seem to remember that happening like summer, late summer, 2022. Um, so that would mean we're, we're a year and a half after that happened. And now Montreal is able to flip him for a first rounder and a potential third rounder. Obviously, you know, we're probably, we're probably not super high on Winnipeg going far enough to where the conditions matter, but still um, obviously really interesting to see what Sean Monaghan has kind of turned himself around to be. I don't think necessarily he's worth a first round pick. I, I'm almost surprised that that was the case. Uh, maybe they got caught up in the whole uh, we want to add sooner rather than later hype rather than late- waiting. Uh, I, we're almost like a month from the trade deadline still at this point. So we're, we're kind of far away from that actually happening. Uh, so getting in front of it maybe cost them, bumped it up from a second rounder to a first or something. But yeah, I'm really surprised by this happening just like in general. Uh, I'm not 
I don't think he's a bad player, but I don't think he's a first round level talent. Like obviously we've seen, I've seen players like, you know, obviously the Rangers have made a couple of trades with, with high picks recently with like Andrew Kopp, Vlad Tarasenko, those guys. Um, I, I would have been as stunned. Like I, I just, Monahan doesn't scream to me first round level return. And maybe that's just what Winnipeg has to do to get players that maybe won't want to stick around because I do believe Monaghan's expiring. I would assume that they're not trading a first rounder to just rent Monaghan for this this year. Um, but it, maybe it just it's the price that Winnipeg has to pay to get a guy that maybe signs long term with their team. Like Winnipeg is not a not an overly desirable place to play now, is it, RK? Yeah, this one seems more of like a reach to me, at least comparison's sake to to Lindholm. Not sure that that Monahan. You you mentioned the context of of his contract and all that, and and you know here on the books for Winnipeg, it's under two million. So uh, you know there was some retained action going involved in that. But uh, if you look at kind of what you got here with Winnipeg, their first round pick this year obviously is traded to Montreal uh, for Monahan, and then their second round pick um, was traded already for Nino Niederreiter, who's been playing on their team this year. So uh, they do have Montreal's second round pick. Um, um, from from a separate trade uh, involving Christian Dvorak from from way back when, but nevertheless, you know, you trade your first and second round pick, you get some forwards out there, and and I feel like that's good. But I'm just not still sold that this Winnipeg team is going to be the one that you know, hey, we're put throwing in a condition that we're winning the cup, we're right there, we're knocking on the door, we're ready to kind of take down uh, everybody in the Central Division. You know, we're going to beat Dallas in a seven game series, beat Colorado, beat whoever comes out of the Pacific. Like I, I'm just not sold that this was the move. This is what Winnipeg needed to do right now uh just given where their team is at and uh you know i think that if i was adding a a, you know a piece or or trading away a first round pick for a current part of this roster i know you have a really good goalie there but i might look to add a little bit on the back end as well and uh, morrissey schmidt pionk i feel like they're strong defensemen but uh, a little bit more defense depth might have made a little bit more sense to me than a sean monahan who i think realistically is probably a third liner on a good playoff team um when it's all kind of said and done so seemed like a little bit more of a reach for me on on winnipeg side uh in terms of the value they're getting back for a first round pick but Flip it over, Montreal side, you know, this is a team where they kind of have a more clear direction on on where things are going, um, you know, near the bottom of uh, of the Eastern Conference, only ahead of Ottawa and Columbus. So they're, they're going to be in the lottery. They saw the writing on the wall. They can add a first-round pick, which with Winnipeg could end up being, you know, maybe early 20s or so. It seems like a logical move for uh, what Montreal is is still trying to do and, and rebuilding with Ken Hughes as, as their GM. Uh, what do you think about this from Montreal side and dishing away Monaghan and, and adding another first? You know, as mentioned before, obviously it is stunning that they took on Monaghan for a first rounder and were able yeah. to move him just in 18 months later, as you were mentioning just a second ago, um, literally traded their first rounder, Calgary's first rounder in 2025 with Monaghan uh, for future considerations. So we're literally, literally giving them away for free. Um, so Sean Monaghan, first off, employing him for, for 18 months, uh, got you a first rounder and then you got another first rounder trading him. Yeah. Um, I don't think you could be mad at that in this. Like, I think that's just like the biggest W possible in this situation. Is it not like, how do you, how, first off, we mentioned not worth, not probably not worth the first rounder mentioned uh, in the first place. Uh, it, it's masterful business. I would say uh, from Kent Hughes and the Montreal Canadians. I, I do think this is definitely a better team than, than prior years for the Habs. They're at least a little bit competitive now rather than last year. I believe they played under a 70-point pace, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were one of the four four teams, five teams that were under 70 points last year. Um, I think that they're well over that pace this year. I believe they're playing like on a point-per-game pace, which is an improvement. So, um, obviously, those first-rounders will do a lot to get you from, uh, okay, we're an 80-point team to, oh, now we're a 90, 95-point, 100-point team uh, with the competitive youth they've done. I mean, you can't really fault it, can you? 
yeah, it's great asset management, how you, how you broke it down, obviously uh, bodes well for Montreal and where they're at. I think, you know, looking at these two trades, um, you know, four Canadian teams, I think if I like it the most for anybody, it probably would be Montreal. You understand your direction. You had a first round pick. It's good asset management. You dump Monaghan. You, you know, weren't really going anywhere this year anyways. And uh, maybe that slightly contributes to a tank if they care about that at all, which I'm sure Ken Hughes has that in the back of his mind too. But um, yeah, I, I like this move for Montreal a lot. I think that is really good return um, uh, for Monaghan. Uh, at this point in time. All right, that recaps the uh, trades, off-ice action in the NHL. Before we get into the second half, uh, we did have the All-Star break in Toronto. Uh, brought back the draft setting. I uh, had some celebrities in the mix. Michael Bublé was doing shrooms while it was going on. That was hilarious for him to talk about all that going on. Then on the ice, you had Connor McDavid win the skills competition. Probably could have had a, a third grader tell you that was going to happen uh, before it even happened itself. But did have Nikita Kucherov not trying out there as well. The Toronto crowd is definitely going to hold that over him until the end of time. And yet all the old hockey men saying how this is a disgrace and we should be trying and all that jibber jabber that you happen over all-star break of, of pretty much meaningless stuff uh when it's all said and done anyways yeah the games uh what what did you kind of take away all-star break a lot kind of happened there in a short period of time donnie uh, what what kind of stuck out to you uh over the weekend toronto yeah obviously it was a new format so something that is worth considering just in general um it's entirely different than what they were doing before. They added some different games. Obviously, as you mentioned, Nikita Kucherov was not interested in learning any of those new games. Uh, there were even broadcasts they cut a couple of times to somebody on the ice explaining them with like a piece of paper in their hand, which is really bad if the players need help understanding these these semi-basic hockey drills that Connor McDavid and co. came up with. Um, but definitely not ideal. I, I sort of kind of agree with the, the old hockey men, uh, not in the sense that, you know, like Nikita Kucherov should be trying his hardest, but like should try a little bit, I think. Like, because realistically, none of the other players, except like, I think you, you could argue that McDavid and McCarr and like McKinnon and those guys, they just, they're going to try regardless. They just got a little bit of dog in them um, to where they just, they want to win regardless of what's going on. But like the key Kucherov really didn't try at all. We could have thrown you or me out there at the same time, got the same results. Obviously on the passing challenge, he hit the target twice. Uh, they they like 18 different tries, 16 different tries. They hit target like two or three. Uh, so really bad. And also uh, one, one. If I'm gonna be crotchety about one thing from the All Star Weekend, um, the the three v three games ended in a shootout. Like, have we not learned enough from from the reactions that we received? Um, we had two of the three games and then a shootout. Um, why can't we just play golden goal three on three golden goal? Uh, after the time is up, like, what was that? That hard? Was that this difficult? But again, the NHL just wants to shove the shootout down our throats, and we're we're never arcade's never going away. The shootout's gonna be here forever. Yeah, if the shootout's happening in the All-Star game, I mean, gosh, like, God forbid it goes away at a regular season hockey. But, um, yeah, you're right. Definitely no uh, pregame pep talk from Joe DiMaggio to Nikita Kucherov saying how there's a little fan up there who wants to see how good you are. Uh, he didn't care. It, it was kind of like a mockery. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, yeah, all right. You could maybe give a little bit more. Like, at a least little pretend bit. like you care. Like, he adamantly did not care and wanted us all to know about it, how sick Nikita Kucherov is, which, to his credit, he is pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. But, yeah. You, you could have gave us a little bit alter games for the fans all right you know maybe maybe don't be the headline for not trying in a setting like that but yeah all-star game uh come and gone and, and let's get back to, to actual hockey it's nice they don't have a huge gap uh in the in the uh in the in the season here with the all-star break already pretty much back into it here for the second half so um with that being said let's shift over to questions we got a lot of nhl thoughts here uh in questions as well so natural transition for us here donnie this first questions Cover my guy, Eric, Eric18 Utah on Twitter. Our guy, Eric Jensen, wants us to break down what we're going to see in the NHL heading into the second half. 
giving us a little tear check uh, into the NHL. So we're going to start with the contenders, the best team in each conference. Donnie, obviously, you're a New York Rangers fan there in the Eastern Conference, having a pretty good year. But let's start with the Eastern Conference. Best team in the East. Who do you think is kind of a top contender right now uh, in the East of the NHL? Yeah, you know, it's hard to argue it's anybody but the Boston Bruins. Once again, they've come back and surprised us, even without Bergeron, without Krejci. Um, a really, really weird roster, honestly. Like, they're relying on Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka to be their, their rocks down the middle, and it's worked out well enough to where they are. Uh, the best team in the league, I think you could say, or at least one of the best two or three teams in the league at the very worst, uh, depending on how you you value teams like Colorado and even, I guess, like the Oilers, um, all those. But I, I think Boston's my top contender. Um, also, if we want to just go on with our, our contender tier, because I think that that's going to be something we're going to end up doing here. Um, I have the Bruins. Uh, they're, they're definitely the top of the contender tier, but I also have the Panthers, Rangers, and Hurricanes in there. Um, I think that there's been enough proven time. We've seen 50 games. You can kind of say, okay, the Florida Panthers last year, the regular season was just a tough one. It just they, they had some stumbles along the way, but they are a very, very good hockey team. We saw them in the playoffs. I've seen it through the regular season here. They have some scoring depth that I don't think anybody else in the league even rivals at this point. Uh, the Rangers, obviously, um, I'm a little bit biased, but they've had a really, really strong year. Should still be the favorite to win the Metro in my eyes, albeit Carolina's playing pretty well. Um, good goaltending. Jonathan Quick had another solid game last night. Uh, has been really helpful there. Obviously, Igor has not been great this year, but you would bet on Igor to bounce back before you would bet on him being another 900, uh, having the, the 900 season um, that he's having currently. I would assume that he picks up a little bit. And obviously, Carolina just uh, structured well, coached well. Um, you kind of you, you can root for Rod Brindamore because you know you're going to get a good team out of him, especially if the roster is good, which it is. Um, their goaltending will come up as a question mark uh, probably the rest of the year. I don't assume that they're going to make a trade. The cap is would be very tough for them to make a trade, given their core is kind of sort of like bunched up for the future. We know exactly who they're going to be running on the ice for the next couple of years. Uh, but I think Carolina has – they've proven enough to where they are, are the last of my contenders. And also, I guess just being in the Metro where the Rangers have fallen off a little bit helps a little bit too. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's well said. I kind of look at that top five in the East. You know, I'm not I don't think Toronto really is quite there just because it's Toronto and we know what happens to them in the playoffs. They don't play much defense. They don't have much goaltending. Hard for me to really consider them a contender year after year, um, just given how things have played out. So I think, yeah, you look at the top five in the East right now. If you, you sort it by points, you got Boston, Florida, New York, Carolina, Tampa. I think those are all, you know, pretty, pretty solid contending threats uh, in the East. All of them have have a decent shot. And I think it's interesting that Tampa Tampa is up there because obviously they started the year they were without Vasilevsky you know you were kind of questioning some uh, of their depth you know they lost Ross Colton for example you know you're just like oh are they the same Tampa you know weren't necessarily you know rocking and rolling it as we've seen them in the past in the first you know early first half of the first half but you know here they are and, and they're still you know very much threats and uh, I bet nobody wants to face the Tampa Bay Lightning in a playoff series uh, at this point in time so uh, I, I think that Tampa I don't want to call them a sleeper because no one is sleeping on the Tampa Bay Lightning but um, they're just kind of creeping around and, and I think that they're you know, they got as good of a chance as I think Boston or Florida has, if, if we're being honest in the East. So um, I, I want to give a, a shout out to, to Tampa Bay once Nikuda, Nikita Kucherov starts trying again in, in meaningful games. I think they will be a tough out um, in the East. All right, let's bounce over to the West. Top contenders in the West. We just talked about the Canucks getting Elias Lindholm. That's obviously a big ad. We know about the uh, Avs, the Stars, uh, Vegas, defending cup champs. So you got McDavid and the Oilers. There's a lot of good teams here in the West, Donnie. How do you kind of break it down? Tier-wise, contenders in the West. Yeah, if we had done this two weeks ago, I wouldn't have had the Oilers in this tier list, but I'm actually going to name the entire top six of the Western Conference as contenders because I do believe, um, obviously, it's going to be a real battle to see who ends up coming out 
of the Central Division with Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg all within three points right now. Winnipeg uh, actually has the best points percentage of the three. So if, if they were to end up maybe winning the division and avoiding playing Colorado or Dallas in the first round, I would actually back them uh, really heavily against a wildcard team. I think that would be a really, really good matchup and let the others uh, beat each other up. And also, I find it very, very hard to leave out a team that has won 16 in a row, going to potentially make it uh, 17 in a row. They play tonight. Well, you know, obviously we won't have that for you on this podcast, but uh, I think you could you could kind of bet um, they're going to be playing. It's a little bit different, obviously. They're playing Vegas. It's a, it's a rivalry game, very important. Both these teams uh, make it on my contender list without uh, much of an issue there. Uh, obviously, Vancouver. So I, Vancouver, Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, Vegas, and Edmonton. I'm throwing all six in my contender list. You're maybe, once we get to the playoff team list, you're going to be a little bit surprised here, RK. But uh, those are the six that I think are, are very firmly could come out of the West. I wouldn't be super surprised. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree um, with with that, with the exception of Winnipeg, I, I just still am like, I don't think Winnipeg is actually a contender. I know they've been good. They've got a good goalie, but, uh, you know, they just added Sean Monaghan. Like I said, it's not really turning the needle for me too much. So, like, I just think they're maybe a little bit lower than uh, kind of the the flash, the flare, the star power of the, you know, Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, Edmonton. Uh, and then with what Vancouver is doing right now, I just think comparison's sake, I would have Winnipeg a little bit lower. And uh, L.A. is in an interesting spot. Obviously, it's kind of been a disaster here over the last handful of weeks, but you make the coaching change, Tom clone's gone maybe that has a similar oilers like effect where they can kind of turn it around obviously a couple weeks ago a lot of headlines are made drew dowdy saying people don't care they just care about their points probably talking about pierre luc dubois who hasn't been doing much of anything since they acquired him uh in large part so a you know playoff situation you know could the kings turn it around kind of get into that contender category maybe at some point but hard to say right now just maybe something down the road where uh, as you kind of go deeper into the west you know the st louis the nashville the seattles i don't think they're really western conference contenders maybe they uh surprise you and win a series like we saw with Seattle over Colorado last year you know anything can really happen but uh, in terms of winning the Western Conference representing uh, it in the Stanley Cup Finals I think that um, you know I would probably go with the top six uh, in the West as you did minus Winnipeg so uh, going with that the five of Vancouver Colorado Dallas Vegas and Edmonton so pretty deep West pretty strong uh, at least in terms of some of the recent years we've seen sometimes it's been almost more top heavy than I think what we've seen so far uh, this year in the West so that kind of breaks down the uh, contenders uh, at the top of each of these conferences. Uh, Eric also wants us to kind of talk about these bubble teams, the wildcard teams, you know, who's going to kind of get into the playoffs, who's chasing, who's kind of in the mix. So let's look at the wildcard race in the East right now, Donnie. Um, you know, we've got at the moment Toronto and Detroit in there, but handful of teams in the mix, the Islanders, the Penguins, the Devils, uh, the Capitals still, uh, you know, in, in the hunt uh, in there as well. Uh, any of these teams kind of stand out for you that you think, you know, they'll have a strong second half and I think they'll be in the playoffs in a wildcard spot when it's all said and done. Yeah, I would say uh, I didn't have Tampa in my last list, but I want to say they're just right right outside of the contender list. So they're definitely, I would say, guaranteed a playoff spot, as is Toronto. From there, I don't think there's anybody you can really say. I, I'm confident that this team is making the playoffs, even with a team like Detroit that's kind of been playing better hockey recently. Uh, they've pulled away in terms of just like having a little bit of distance on teams like the Islanders and Pittsburgh and the Devils. Uh, but I'm not, I'm, it's the it's the Red Wings, dude. Like we've, we've seen this. It's, it's almost like the Sabres, like, is, is it actually going to happen? And I'm not going to back until it actually happens. Like, we're actually seeing the Red Wings um, back chasing it. Uh, I'm going to call them uh, just outside of a playoff team, a lock. Uh, I would assume that of the, the remaining teams outside of Toronto and Tampa, they're probably the most likely of them to sneak into the wild card. Uh, but would you really be surprised if we saw a team like the Devils or even a team like the Islanders pass them? No. I think at this point we've kind of established, like, the Red Wings are are not to be trusted until they give us a full 82 and they, they 
keep it up. They've got start 32 games left. There's there's room for disaster there. And I'm not saying it's going to happen necessarily, but we've seen the Red Wings. We've seen it happen. So uh, I'm not super confident in the Red Wings. I think uh, other people are a little bit too high on the Red Wings right now. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm down a little bit. I'm saying probably not for the Red Wings. Not, not yet for me, at least. Yeah, I think the Red Wings, like, they can score goals, but they also struggle to keep the puck out of their own net at the same time. So I think that maybe, you know, all these teams, the wildcard hunt, like, there's flaws with all of them. So that's why they're kind of on the fence, and, and it's hard to say we love them. I mean, I can even look at the Metro 3 right now, the Flyers. Like, I don't think I'm even sold that the Flyers will hold on to one of these spots when it's all said and done and make it. So uh, if we're kind of picking hairs, you know, you mentioned a lot of these teams. Like, I guess I, I can talk myself into Pittsburgh the most just because I feel like their team defense has been really good. And you're like, man, this power play should should be better than it is you got Crosby you got Malkin you got Gensel you got Eric Carlson like you guys should be able to put the puck in the net more than you have so far in the first half and uh for comparison's sake like the Islanders with Patrick Waugh like their defense hasn't been great this year I'm still not sold on that team kind of coming together the Devils have had their issues in net and Dougie Hamilton's hurt and uh, I'm just not super sold that these teams are gonna end up you know turning that page flipping it but I think the Penguins maybe uh they they can figure it out but at the same time at the beginning of the year I was like they're gonna trade Jake Gensel at the deadline. I don't think that's happening now, but uh, maybe they, you know, flip the switch and they go aggressive. They buy, they uh, improve their stock a little bit with Kyle Dubas there and trying to maximize these last three years of Crosby Malkin. Probably not ending up in another Stanley Cup, but uh, maybe a playoff appearance for them. You know, last year missing the playoffs was just this massive failure. The sky was falling in Pittsburgh, um, you know, for it to happen two years in a row. You know, that would be a, a really bad look. I think they're going to try to push for it here. And, um, you know, they just need a little bit more goal scoring plug, which I think that, you know, you go out, you acquire a winger, you know, maybe that helps you out and, and gets over the hump. So Penguins are kind of the team I look at in the, in the wild card hunt in the East that I could see. Oh, yeah, maybe they end up getting in uh, and having a strong second half. A couple games in hand for them, too. They'll be playing a little bit more. Um, these last few months. All right, let's bounce over to the West now. Wild card hunt. Just talked about the LA Kings uh, for for struggling a little bit, but um, I th I think they will probably end up making the playoffs when it's all said and done. So if we're looking at that second spot in the wild card, you got teams like St. Louis, Nashville, Seattle, Arizona, Calgary, Minnesota, all kind of in that mix of teams that could potentially do it. Anyone stand out? Like we said, there's flaws in all these teams, Donnie. Anyone you kind of like to have a strong second half and and maybe end up making it as the last team in the West? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on one of these teams getting super hot and having like a nine or 10 game win streak to get there because I don't think they differentiate themselves enough on like a base to base, like a night to night uh, basis. Obviously, St. Louis has the offense. They've got the ability players. They've got the skill players up front. Uh, but are they going to are they going to even try? Are they going to make some trades? Are they going to uh, what are they going to do with their players? Obviously, they have uh, there's rumors about their guys forever it feels like a couple of years now we've heard rumors about the top end guys from Cairo and Thomas to even like Buchnevich is back in the rumor mill again that would be a really really interesting move if they ended up doing that and also uh, Nashville on the same kind of cohort there um, we've seen Yusei Saros in, in the rumor mill for a couple of years now uh, Nashville not necessarily great um, have a totally different voice running the front office now so that could be really interesting uh, maybe try to separate themselves obviously they've got uh, some young goalie pipeline um Young goalies in the pipeline ready to go waiting there. Uh, so I would assume that would be an interesting case. And I'm definitely not buying into Seattle. I'm definitely not buying into Arizona. I'm definitely not buying into Calgary. And uh, I, I will say it, I'm a little bit more wrong than I thought I was going to be on the Minnesota Wild this year. I thought that this the weak-ish uh, weak West outside of the top six would have uh, welcomed them uh, into one of those spots. It felt like even with the, the cap held they're going through, they would still be able to get here. Uh, but injuries have really killed them this year. Obviously, we've seen Kaprizov out a couple times. Zuccarello was out for, for quite a little bit there. Um, you know, just guys get hurt. It is what it is when you're working on a cap deficit of, of all those millions of dollars. It's tough. But yeah, I'm 
on my list, I broke it down between contenders, West playoff teams, and West playoff chasers. I had six contenders, zero playoff teams, and then four teams in the chaser chaser list with the Blues, Preds, Kings, and Kraken. I would assume that the Kings are the best of those teams. Uh, As you mentioned there, I'm very much in agreement with you there. Although, man, it has been really hard to watch the Kings play hockey. So I'm not confident in this in this league, honestly, I'm not confident in the Western Conference. I'm not confident in anything outside of the top six. And even like, I don't know, like like you said, even if Winnipeg fell off, it'd be like, ah, you know, it is what it is. It's it's the Winnipeg Jets. So um, maybe I'm thinking the, the West is not as strong as other people are. Uh, maybe I'm thinking, you know, if you end up first or second in the Western Conference, you're in a really easy matchup in the first round, albeit, you know, we've seen we've seen things happen like last year. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not super big on, on the Western Conference. Obviously, we don't have to touch on the bottom end of the Western Conference because really it's that bad. Um, so I, I'm not sold necessarily on any of these teams that I would assume that we're talking about the Kings in one of the wildcard spots and then St. Louis or Nashville fighting out. I don't, anybody else is like pretty mediocre hockey, honestly. Yeah, I, I think so. I think like St. Louis, Nashville, they're, you know, tied right now. They're going to be kind of battling it out. Like, I guess I like the St. Louis forward core a little bit better. I like Nashville's decor maybe a little bit better. Um, You know, kind of take your pick. It, it's not how it shakes out right now in the, the goals for goals against categories. But uh, I guess big picture thinking, you know, e- either one. And, and I don't think either one would really make any noise. I don't think they're taking down a, a Colorado or a Vancouver in a first round. You never know. But uh, I don't think I would predict that uh, right now. Uh, maybe, maybe Arizona, maybe I'm a little higher on Arizona than you like I maybe that's just me hoping they finally show me some life because they got some you know this young group we've been saying oh just wait Arizona's gonna be good one day and we've been saying that for the last you know seven years it feels like so uh, I don't know Logan Cooley maybe he turns it on in the second half but uh yeah it, it's not uh there's not a ton I'm I'm loving about the depth in uh in the west uh, at least in terms of the wild card race so that kind of covers that. Uh, like what you said about the wild as well, um, maybe underperforming a little bit uh, relative to, to expectations, uh, even with, you know, some of their, their tough situations with the buyouts on their cap hit. But um, all right. Last thought from Eric uh, for this podcast. He wants us to talk about one team with a fascinating future for each of us. I, uh, I'm not allowed to pick the Blackhawks, which I don't think I would have anyways, because I haven't been enjoying watching the Blackhawks without Connor Bedard recently. So I'm not the most optimistic about the Hawks. So let's talk about these teams near the bottom. They're going to be in the lottery this year, but give me a team with a fascinating future. You got an eye on that maybe two, three, four years down the line, Donnie, they can make some noise. Who do you like? Yeah, you know, obviously I, I came in this one actually thinking the opposite way. And so I'm going to stick to the fascinating future among the really, really bad teams. But I was thinking just a, on a sidebar that the Washington Capitals future is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch just because we're seeing uh, a, a historic slowdown from Alex Ovechkin, uh, which I think if you had talked about the the pathway to the future for the Capitals, it was like, oh, you know, we're, we're going all in. We've got Ovi. He's he's scoring goals. We're trying to get into the scoring record. Uh, Nick Backstrom, obviously, we've seen injuries time and time again with Nick Backstrom really taking things away. Um, the future of this team, we're going to really see what happens. Like, is Alex Ovechkin ending his career in Washington? I would assume probably, but I'm not necessarily sure about that. Uh, I will give you a fascinating team. My fascinating team is a team that I've talked about being better than the, better than the, the record shows. It's the Columbus Blue Jackets. I really like what the Blue Jackets have done in terms of a personnel, um, a- adding players, good young talent to their roster. Uh, we see random young players from the Blue Jackets score uh, every night, whether it's Kirill Marchenko, who I feel has really stepped into a nice role um, as like, maybe more of an offensive presence as you would that you would have wanted uh, out of a, a young guy somebody you probably don't want to working in is like maybe your elite goal scorer of the gang 
Uh, but obviously with like Fantilli and co um, we should see him get a lot better. Should be really, really nice career there. Obviously they're going to have a high draft pick this year, probably a high draft pick next year too. I would assume that the jackets are not turning it around right away. Uh, so we may see them um, maybe not in a devil's esque format where they've got all these really, really high level young players stepping right into the lineup and helping them out. Uh, but I, I, I would definitely assume that the Blue Jackets are going to be good in three or four years. They're going to have a lot of young ELC talent or guys just off their ELC. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say they're winning the winning the Cup in four years or anything. It is still Columbus. Uh, but it feels like they're kind of building something here, even with the, the negative results this year. Uh, you can kind of see a tangible future for them now, where I think a couple of years ago or even last year you would have said, ah, I don't, I don't know how confident I am in the Blue Jackets being good. So uh, that's, my, that's my pick. I'm not necessarily sure how how fired up you are to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets or anything or hear about the Columbus Blue Jackets, but uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah, love it. I, I know our friend Josh will love hearing some Blue Jackets love on the podcast. I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Anaheim on this one, and not because I'm at all inspired by their defensive uh, prowess, because that's been horrible the last two years. Like, they play no defense ever. But if we're projecting a couple years down the line, fascinating future. I mean, you can't deny how much talent this team has uh, up front. Um, you know, Troy Terry, obviously, figures to be in the mix for a long time. Leo Carlson, the rookie. Mason McTavish, I like what I'm seeing. Obviously, got Trevor Zegers there. You got Pavel Mitnikov this year making his debut, and I know they've been dealing with some injuries. Zegris, Mitnikov, uh, Killorn as well, uh, you know, all on IR right now. So maybe you're underperforming expectations uh, relative to that, you know, due to injuries and, and guys out of the lineup. But uh, I think, you know, the fix there is give me some veteran defensemen out there. I know they love their flashy offensive D, six foot four puck moving guys. And um, yeah, I do too. It looks great, but it maybe not all six out there uh, with the exception of maybe Radko Gudis, if, if I'm being honest. But, um, you know, a couple years down the line, you throw in some veteran defensemen, um, you know, I feel like that should kind of help the void a little bit and uh, maybe that's been the kind of the uh the curse we've been saying about about the buffalo sabers for how many years as well but uh you know maybe if at some point in time if pat verbeek the general manager in anaheim considers anything about the defensive zone he might improve the quality of this team and in a couple of years the goal scoring will start to catch up on the offensive side uh they just have too much talent it's got to break through at some point i think you know, we've been saying it about other teams for a while and it hasn't, but uh, I think the Ducks at least have an interesting enough future where uh, I like the forward talent. And I like some of the D uh, offensively, uh, if they can just kind of right the ship and, uh, you know, defend in their own zone, watch some film, do something. I think they will be an interesting team and, and can make some noise in the West, uh, at least in the next couple of years. So. Good questions from Eric. Nice to kind of break things down uh, midway point of the NHL season. Uh, good time. You know, we we have a, a little knowledge on what's going on, Donnie. You know, we, we joke like through the first like 20, 30 games. It's like, oh, we're still figuring things out. We don't really know what's going on. It's like, all right, we we got a little bit of a pulse on what's going on. Obviously, trade deadline. And, and once the trades start to fill in, that fills in a little bit more of the gaps and the holes. But um, yeah, excited for, uh, for the second half now that we're through the all-star break. So good questions from Eric. Appreciate his thoughts. Check out the end zone pod. Eric did a nice uh, Super Bowl pre preview uh listen to that one this week uh for for those of you interested in that content as well all right let's move on though got some members of my family asking questions on the roadie on the horn podcast we love to see it let's start with my uncle jason williams he's got a question for us this is a really good one he he, he really wrote this one out so i gotta feel like i gotta tell this question like a narrative story so let's let's do my best here donnie he says give me a comparable player in any sport with better all-time career stats that has also been bad for more years in a row, but they still won a recent individual award like the All-Star Game MVP, but also they're many years past their prime, and 
they have had more teams say yes to them than Craig Kimbrell, because Craig Kimbrell got signed again, and this guy has been passed around, even though he's been he was good, and then like he starts blowing games, especially for the Chicago baseball team, the Cubs and the Sox. It wasn't always the prettiest. You know, he pulls up last year All-Star Game MVP. You know, it was pretty good for the Phillies, and he's still bouncing around. So this guy, Craig Kimbrell, I mean, this this is very well said. I mean, like it, it is very mind-boggling how this guy who's just got oh, anytime he, he shows him, oh, all-time saves leader, Craig Kimbrell. Wow, this guy must be a really good reliever, and then he can't throw a strike he starts walking guys left and right and you're like what is going on but then still strikes out the the side and you're like what i don't understand this guy like there needs to be a study on old craig kimbrell and he keeps fooling teams because he keeps getting new contracts so i mean yeah like i'm mind boggled by this too it's very well put and, and very accurate on craig kimbrell but he wants a comparable player so we kind of dueled this one up donnie we have a comparable player what do you think? What can we give to my uncle Jason here on, on someone somewhat similar to the insane career of Craig Kimbrell? What do you got? Yeah. I mean, obviously I don't even think it's, it's on the same level as Craig Kimbrell. Obviously both of us have experienced Craig Kimbrell pitching for our favorite teams yeah. and pitching badly for our favorite teams. Um, so that is interesting, but uh, we came up with mostly you came up with Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, I wasn't even thinking in this category, but when you broke it down to me before the podcast, he was discussing how you would have to find a specific position um, where a player can is allowed to bounce around because I guess the position is what you would consider weak or or less uh, less consistent. You'd probably want to have a veteran guy in there. An NHL goaltender is is the best of the bunch for me. I think I, I actually started off with NBA point guards and I was like looking through guys like Chris Paul, uh, who I felt was on a similar vibe as that. But you came up with Mark Andre Fleury. Honestly, like it's it's a really it's a damn good answer. You wanna you wanna explain your, your thought process a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's definitely past his prime. He's his save percentage is below 900 this year uh, for the Minnesota Wild. But yeah, he's been bouncing around a little bit. Obviously, Pittsburgh, long time. You know, that's where he got his all-time career stats. First overall pick, won a couple Stanley Cups, goes over to Vegas. You know, he's kind of this fan favorite. Everybody loves him. Uh, you know, that kind of helps out his case in terms of a long, you know, longer-term career. Goes to the Hawks, goes to the Wild. Now he starts getting bounced around a little bit, but still just kind of has this fun personality. You see wild clips of him, like, diving back into the net to save, like, empty net goals where he thought about going to the bench and then he comes back like you kind of just get like some funny action with Mark andre Fleury, some personality so i think that uh that helps out with uh with flurry in terms of his longevity uh you know in his career and, and, and who knows he could get traded again this deadline i think there will be at least somewhat interested suitors in, in adding flurry uh still this year so i still don't think he's done getting kind of passed around and, and just being a goalie that pops up so uh, i think that is at least somewhat comparable to craig kimbrell even if he doesn't have it quite to that level uh of the big reliever there yeah i agree there it is also interesting i wasn't even aware that craig kimbrell was an oriole he was signed by the orioles uh last month and i i guess i missed it um i guess this is a good time to to lump this in with the the corbin burns news uh, obviously the orioles have picked up yeah. a couple a couple of pitchers so um maybe craig kimbrell can learn something from corbin burns who was traded from milwaukee obviously for a couple prospects uh i'm thinking the Orioles fans are going to be very, very upset watching Craig Kimbrell uh, close out games after, or I mean, I guess maybe eighth inning. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Felix Bautista and gang, obviously he got hurt last year, uh, but if, if Craig Kimbrell is in a, a, a high, I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about what, how many games he's going to blow in Baltimore against like the Aaron judges of the world. Uh, that right. could be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I think like the last checkbox of this uh, equation, you got like the career stats, like bad recently, recent award, past their prime. It's like, what round is this guy going to make his massive collapse and blow it for his team? Like at what what point of the playoffs, like what game, what series is Craig Kimbrell just going to hand slider? Like, you know what's happening for these guys? Like, we're just waiting for it to happen because uh, he's going to fool you. He's going to have like 40 saves this year. And you're like, what? How? Like, what is it? I don't understand how this guy keeps getting all these saves. But. It will happen where he either has a wild pitch or he gives up a massive bomb. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to happen. It's going to screw over the Orioles, and you heard it here first because that's what's that's the last checkbox of this equation. It's like a Raldis Chapman. You always know, right. you know, where, wherever he is, whatever he's doing. When Jose Altuve is up at the plate, you just know. I don't, you don't want to talk about it. You know something bad's going to happen. Craig Kimbrell against uh, Aaron Judge. Uh, Rafi Devers, also I would say a pretty, pretty uh, over yep. the monster. I'm almost guaranteeing that that will happen at some point this season. Um it just, you just know it's sad, but you just know, like he could pitch great 70 times in the year, but the, the five appearances where he comes out and just gives up, gives up grand slams. It's just, uh, it hurts. People hate Dodgers fans hated him. I'm sure Cubs fans were the yeah. same. Dodgers fans hated that man. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unanimous among the, the former Ted Grimble users of the world, which is like half the league at this point. Chapman is, is kind of another good answer to this uh, as well. Kind of fits the reliever category that um, happens here. So good question from Jason. It is uh, very, very puzzling every time this happens. Uh, MLB offseason after MLB offseason where you're like, oh yeah, Craig Kimball, he's still around. He's still chucking it. And he's probably going to be like uh, an all-star again somehow. So uh, good question there. All right, let's keep rolling though. We finally are getting some football thoughts here. This one comes from my dad. Wants us to talk about some of our favorite players on the Niners, on the Chiefs, current, retired. Let's kind of whip through them here, Donnie. Let's start with the 49ers, NFC representative in the Super Bowl here. Favorite current player on the 49ers, Donnie. Who do you got? I think it's George Kittle, honestly. Like, he, he's just, he's charismatic. He's a nice little, like, presence to have. Obviously, you get the funny, funny clips, funny quotes out of him. I don't know if you saw his, uh, I, we're, the halftime uh, they had us in the first half not gonna lie yeah. you know obviously he's just funny he's a funny man obviously he had some really really funny good uh quotes at uh opening night last night for the super bowl media day media night whatever they call it so uh, i think i'll go with george kittle just a talented football player does everything right obviously you'll love the george kittle hype for, uh given the the circumstances of we're getting teu call outs everywhere now right. i'm hearing teu everywhere uh george kittle he's my favorite i would say yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, George Kittle, Iowa Hawkeye. Hard for me to look further. He was he was before my time. I didn't have any overlap in my Iowa career with George Kittle, but I still claim him. Still claim a, a George Kittle favorite. <laughs> and so I agree with you, Donnie. But I'll give you a a backup just so we don't have the same answer. Fred Warner. I just think Fred Warner's a baller on that defense. Every time I'm watching the Niners, I'm like, damn, Fred Warner. This guy's crazy athletic, flying across the football field. You know, going sideline to sideline, stopping the run game, helping out in pass coverage. Um, I just think he's a very good linebacker. Every time I watch the Niners, it's fun watching. And, uh, Fred Warner out there, um, you know, patrolling the middle of the field um, for that defense. Uh, and then we got to give a retired player as well. So your favorite former San Francisco 49er, Donnie, give me a Niner of the past. Who is your favorite? Yeah, I think just given the era, I'm going to have to go with Frank Gore. It was always fun watching Frank Gore out there just running the ball, obviously, from the U representing uh, very, very well. Uh, but Frank Gore was just like, he, one of those guys is like almost like inspirational, just like never give up. He was he was playing the league until he was like 85 years old. It felt like he was always back uh, just running the ball. But when he was with uh, the Niners, obviously the Colin Kaepernick teams, uh, it felt like he was like an elite running back even late, mid, late into his 30s, which is really hard to do in today's NFL. Obviously somebody that you can kind of just like 
respect is freaking Frank Gore, obviously a Hall of Famer. Uh, at some point, I would assume that Frank Gore gets in there. Uh, I was going to also say, uh, just an honorable mention was Terrell Owens, but it was a little bit before my time. Obviously, the T.O. 49ers clips, are just, it's just different. It's it's different gravy. He was young T.O. was just insane. Yeah, no, uh, the the playoff game where they're like, he caught it, he caught it. Oh, of course. That was, a, that was a classic. I know it was against your Giants, but nevertheless, that was a, a classic moment uh, for the Niners. Good answer on Frank Gore. He actually would have been a solid answer to the last one on like all-time career stats and a guy who just hung around forever. That's like, true. That was Frank Gore. I just stuck around. I'm going with uh, I'm going with two. I'm, st- I'm, I'm, I'm pulling in a legal play here, but I'm, I'm taking Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. I just feel like the two linebackers of the Niners, I remember when they had Jim Harbaugh and they were in all these uh, NFC championship games and uh, ended up making that one Super Bowl uh, when the lights went out against the Ravens, but just a really feared defense. And I feel like the middle of that field was, was you know, you were getting hit when you were playing Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. Those were kind of your old school linebackers, not like the Fred Warners of today where they're going sideline to sideline. Those guys were more thumpers and uh, always a classic moment. You remember uh, the last game at Candlestick Park, uh, Navarro Bowman had that pick six on Monday Night Football, turned the lights out on Candlestick. So uh, some sentimental value for uh, Niners fans out there, but I always kind of think of uh, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman in uh, on the middle of that field so not like the biggest linebacker guy but off ball linebackers with the Niners I guess I'm a fan of these guys so uh, I'm gonna give shout outs to to both Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman on that one but let's flip it over now AFC representative the Kansas City Chiefs let's talk about your favorite current player on the Chiefs who do you got Donnie yeah, you know, obviously, I, there's been a lot of hate for this this player recently. But I'm going to go with Pat Mahomes. Obviously, uh, he's the best quarterback in the league, could be one of the best quarterbacks ever in in uh, 10 years, 5, 10 years. I don't think that's crazy to say. Obviously, um, I, you, you kind of have to respect greatness. I didn't uh, initially respect greatness, I would say, um, with like Tom Brady and, and co. I wasn't super big on the on the Tom Brady gang, uh, but I'm I'm feeling – I'm feeling kind of good about this pick. I think Pat Mahomes is just somebody that you you have to, even if you hate him, you have to admire just his talent level and his ability. Um, So I got him on my list for sure. Yeah, Donnie, definitely a big Mahomes guy and deservedly so. Pretty clearly the top quarterback in the NFL right now. I got a couple answers I want to share here. As a joke, Marquez Valdez-Scantling because he dropped that ball against the Eagles. That gave them the win before their season completely collapsed. So shout out to MBS for giving me slight enjoyment on a Monday night earlier this year because he couldn't catch a, a wide-open touchdown. But I actually like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because of his LSU days. He has not been good in the NFL, so I feel like I can't really steal that. So I like Justin Reed on defense. Like, there was that one time where he was, like, a kicker, and this guy's just, like, mauling kicks, and he's also, like, a pretty feared safety. Always kind of been a fan of uh, his game. Seems like he's always flying around the football field and, and making plays. So I feel like the, the Chiefs defense just has a bunch of playmakers out there, and I feel like Justin Reed probably is my uh, my overall favorite. Uh, I know my dad likes uh, George Karloftis, Purdue Boilermaker out there. He's had a good rookie year for them and Nick Allegretti as well on the O-line, uh, a good friend of, of my dad's family friend there. So shout out to a number of these Chiefs, but if I had to pick them uh, as a joke, MBS, I like the LSU Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but if I have to pick a, a favorite current player on the Chiefs, I guess I'll go with Justin Reed for what he's done uh, in the NFL legitly. I can't argue with that, honestly. I was thinking you were to come with something a little bit more stupid, uh, but I, I appreciate the answer, honestly. I, I appreciate you actually giving me some I mean, you picked a great player. You picked great players. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not Clyde. Maybe, maybe Clyde. Not, yeah. not the greatest player anymore. But I, I appreciate the answers there. Really, I do. I know. I don't get how Clyde didn't pan out, man. I was so convinced that uh, the, you, the twenty. You were so hyped. 
Like I was like, man, first round pick going with Andy Reid. I'm like, give me the jersey, but it is not panned out. It's Isaiah Pacheco show uh, for for the Chiefs running the ball, not Clyde. But uh, maybe one day he'll resurface, but probably not if we're being honest. All right, favorite retired player from the Chiefs. I'm actually going to share my answer first before Donnie goes. I'm going with Dante Hall. This guy was before my time a little bit, but love Dante Hall, the human joystick. You just get some unbelievable jukes, punt returns, kick returns, doesn't matter. Like you throw this guy a screen. Uh, just, like if Kadarius Tony was actually good, that was Dante Hall. Like this guy was uh, was insane so uh, i've only seen him through like the nfl network top tens or, or highlight videos out there but i uh, love dante hall uh for a former chief yeah that was also my answer but i had a backup knowing that was always potential because he is the just the most electric player right. ever i do i do like the Kadarius tony if he was good shout that is very much yeah. the truth i would say that's that's fair uh, I really, really early on in my Chiefs, uh, my football watching days, but uh, the Priest Holmes, like I, he's the first running back I actually remember in the NFL. I must have been like five or six, and I probably heard him on the TV a billion times because that was uh, the same year he had like 28 touchdowns, 27 touchdowns or whatever uh, for the Chiefs. I think that was 03, 04, somewhere around there. So I was like six or seven years old. Um, just different gravy. Obviously, he got hurt, and then things went downhill. I believe, believe he had like a career-ending spine injury, uh, obviously – what are you going to do with the spine injury? What What are you, how are you going to manage that? But um, one of the elite running backs of our like very, very young youth, uh, somebody I remember being just an absolute beast. And I, I also think it's really interesting, just like looking back at his career, he didn't start with the Chiefs, uh, didn't get any run with Baltimore, uh, didn't end up panning out until he was 28 years old. 28 years old was the first time he ended up starting for the NFL, NFL team and ended up putting up uh, like 55 touchdowns in three years after signing with the Chiefs, ending up with the Chiefs. So um, an interesting thought. Uh, somebody, you know, you can get behind, never give up on your dreams, keep grinding away, and then maybe eventually you'll score 27 rushing touchdowns in a season. Yeah, there you go. I, I like that answer. Gets my mind going on Chiefs running backs. Maybe think about Jamal Charles as well. Jamal I, Charles. I, like I was always a big Jamal Charles guy uh, when when he was running it up uh, for, for the Chiefs. So, yeah, shout out to Chiefs running backs as well. Yeah, let's go. Fire me up. All right. <laughs> But before we uh, before we get into our last question, the designated spot, we got to pick a Super Bowl winner, Donnie. I feel like that uh, would be injustice to have a pre-Super Bowl pod without one. So Chiefs or Niners, who do you got? Who's winning the Super Bowl? You know, obviously you got me thinking with uh, the Chiefs running backs. I'm going to throw Larry Johnson there too. Uh, there we Larry go. Johnson Keep it going. Absolute legend. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorites. But yeah, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I, I never pick against the Chiefs. If you listen to this podcast ever, you you know that the Chiefs are, are very generally my my number one, my go-to. I feel like they're just the most consistently good football team. Obviously, Pat, Pat Mahomes, um, you know, very, very good quarterback. Hard to hard to fight that. Hard to disagree with that. So uh, I'll take the Chiefs. Uh, going to be a low-scoring-ish close game chiefs defense is the best that we've seen with mahomes uh, i i think we talked about this last week on the podcast how surprised we were just to see how good they were uh even with the offense a little bit being maybe lackluster at times uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna rely on the chiefs patrick mahomes will step up have a good game i do also want to say i think that we're gonna get it's gonna be a turnover game i would assume that both quarterbacks end up turning the ball over at least once um which is maybe uncharacteristic i I guess on both sides, but mostly for Brock Purdy. But I would assume this is like a defensive showdown, which is maybe not what you would have assumed uh, if you had been told that this, these were the two teams coming to the year. Yeah, no, I think that's a good analysis. I'm definitely rooting for Kansas City in this game. Love Andy Reid, obviously, former Eagle head coach. So uh, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. But what I will say, 
is you got to look out. If the Niners get on them early, that just really bodes well for them. Run game, play some good defense. If those turnovers happen and it goes the way of the Niners, you know, they get up, say, two, three scores early. Um, you know, it could be, you know, kind of a, a shut the lights out, you know, limit possessions for Mahomes and the Chiefs, uh, kind of a, a game strategy type game. You know Kyle Shanahan back in the Super Bowl. Last time he was there was the 28-3 to game. Like, this guy's had two weeks to come up with his opening game script and his game plan. Like, you, you know he's going to feed Christian McCaffrey. He's going to keep the clock moving. He's going to come up with ways to have third and short and manage. So, um, you know, Brock Purdy's going to need to make some plays. We saw him make some plays with his legs last game. Uh, that kind of helped him out in terms of coming back against the Lions. So, um, like I said, if the Niners get up early, I, I think that, you know, that could really just kind of bode well into their game plan and, and their game flow. But with that being said, I'm still picking Kansas City. I'm, I'm a little surprised they're the underdog, uh, given the fact they're de- defending champs, just went on the road and uh, beat Buffalo, beat Baltimore. They're coming in hot. And uh, obviously Mahomes, uh, he knows what he's doing in a game like this. You don't have to worry about him like you do a Brock Purdy. So I got a lot more confidence in KC overall in picking a winner than I do San Fran. So hopefully it's a good game just give me a close football game i'll be happy on sunday uh regardless though so good questions uh from my dad uh on those uh talking about some some guys on these teams and former guys on these teams so appreciate those questions um but with that let's move on to the last question of this podcast a designated spot for my sister kira and her boyfriend phil they got a hard-hitting question on groundhog's day a monumental event of this past week we we talked about some trades and some football we got to talk about groundhog's day donnie because that happened over the past week so hard-hitting question here overrated underrated appropriately rated how do you rate groundhog's day what are your thoughts yeah, I'm going to call it Groundhog's Day overrated because Punxsutawney Phil is not right most of the time. I believe his accuracy, uh, this came out, he was being memed for like 39% or something like that. Um, <laughs> and people were comparing him to like LeBron's three-point percentage for his career, saying, you know, Punxsutawney Phil gets gets dumped on for only being 39%, but LeBron only hits 34% of his threes. Uh, there were a couple of memes like that, uh, but I definitely think it's overrated. Uh, he's not even 50% of the time. Phil, that's all we're looking for. We don't even need you to be. I want you to be more right than wrong, or as right as wrong that you are. And and he's not. He's more wrong than he's right. And we don't we don't need that in this world. We need people that are uh, animals that are consistent and they actually give us the right answer. Uh, Groundhog's Day is a sham. Uh, if you celebrate it like outside of Phil or whatever, I don't even know what you would do for Groundhog's Day. Do people like throw Groundhog's Day parties or whatever? I hope not. But uh, I'm gonna call it overrated. I think Phil is a fraud. Uh, we need to we need to impeach Phil and get up uh, Punxsutawney Pablo or something in there. We need to we we need new management in Punxsutawney telling us when we're gonna have winter or not. Yeah, we need a backup Phil in there. Uh, maybe maybe Phil, maybe maybe Phil, the question asker here. Maybe maybe you need to be the uh, the new groundhog. Let us know. Just 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 scout out the weather and then just let us know. Actually, Kira informed me this. Phil's got like a bunch of different weather apps, so he's like he's like kind of a weather connoisseur, so to speak. So maybe maybe we got a uh, an honorary groundhog in our guy Phil just telling us the weather instead of just letting a groundhog determine his shadow probably well, makes go a little bit more sense. I don't know. Just, just putting it out there, but yeah, I'm gonna go. I, you know what? I think it's overrated just given the news coverage, but I don't watch the news coverage. So I'm gonna go appropriately rated. I feel like my own biases, uh, just, I'm just like, all right, yeah, it's a thing. All right. Like this week, recency bias coming into fact here. Like it was a little bit warmer after, uh, he said that we're, you know, spring's right around the corner. So I was like, okay, maybe he's onto something. Maybe he's, he's been cold 39%, but maybe we're up to 40% next year. I don't know. Like, but you're right though. Like you should be at least 51% or just tell the media lie. Like people just, celebrate just him right more. Like, come on. People celebrate him for being 39%. I wish yeah. I could be celebrated for doing my work 39% correct. Like that would yeah. be fantastic. 
it'd be good in the MLB. It'd be a good batting average, but that's, that's true. That's about all I can give you. I mean, that's that's not very good if we're we got a fifty percent chance of saying, yeah, it's gonna be cold or it's gonna be warm. Like it's probably gonna be cold. It's early February. Why don't you just like say six more weeks of winter? That's what's gonna happen anyways. Like. Come on. So, yeah, I mean, Groundhog's Day, it's a thing. We don't have to repeat it like the movie. It's come, it's gone, it's over, it's in the past. So, spring, though, allegedly, uh, we got a 39% chance that it's coming around the corner here. You know, soon, we need this. I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of sick of the cold. Obviously, you get it worse than I do. So, I'm, I'm hoping you're thinking, uh, Phil, just give me springtime, dude. I don't want to deal with this this crap anymore. Yeah. Obviously, you get snow and stuff. We don't really get snow down here. It's just, it's just cold and windy. So, yeah. I'm so, sure you're wishing. Yeah. We're, we're nominating Phil to let the, the people of Boston know about the weather in February from here on out instead of some groundhog in Pennsylvania. So just putting it out there. Just putting it out there to the Roy the On The Horn podcast listener army, of course. You know, you guys are the ones that make it happen. And you made it all the way through. Whether you listened all the way through our NHL thoughts or you just tuned in for our Groundhog's Day thoughts, we appreciate you for making Roadie on the Horn part of your day. It was fun for Donnie and I to put this together this week. A little bit slower news week, but we'll have some Super Bowl thoughts next week, and we're back into the swing of things in the NHL realm as well. So it's been a fun podcast. But with that, Donnie, I'll send it over to you. Episode 188 is now complete. Uh, we had a really, really good time recording this. We will be back, as RK mentioned, next week with football thoughts. Lots of football thoughts, we're assuming. It's going to be a really, really fun time. Um, we want to know, uh, I'll leave a question on the Spotify uh, Spotify page, who you're picking for the Super Bowl. I also like a prediction. Uh, that means Kira and Phil, too. Uh, even if you don't care about the game or anything, I know they're probably going to watch, right, RK? We would say that's a, it's a good bet, say, you'd yeah. say? We'll have so it on in the looking- background. We're looking for predictions. Anybody listening on Spotify, answer the question. I put out a poll every week. This is something that only for anybody that makes it this far in. I put a poll every week. We get a couple answers. Usually they're pretty stupid answers, but Kira and Phil give us very, very consistently good answers. Uh, so I appreciate it from them. Uh, yeah, give us your Super Bowl predictions. It'll be in a poll on the Spotify uh, when we're releasing this. But uh, enough talk. We appreciate everybody who listens every week. Episode 188, as I mentioned, uh, we're almost at 200. I'm getting very excited for that. RK is getting very excited for that. Uh, maybe we'll get a guest on between now and then. I think that's a good guess. Um, yeah, next I'd episode. say it's a solid Third bet rapper. next episode. Yep, Sheck West will be here for sure, 100%. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate everybody who listens, and we will talk to you all later. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This